You're listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hull United Methodist Church. Be sure to visit us at hopehullumc.org sermons, where you can subscribe to future episodes of SermonCast and browse our archive of past messages. Thanks for tuning in. As we've been working our way through Paul's letter to the Galatians, one of the things that is very, very quickly apparent is that Paul is convinced that this church is in the middle of a crisis. There's a problem. It's a serious problem. And if you, if you kind of read through the whole letter, and you may have noticed even in this passage today that Paul's tone is really striking. It's really kind of aggressive. He's, he's not holding back. He's got some points to make. And He's one of those guys who doesn't mind making his points rather forcefully, maybe even more forcefully than we would prefer from time to time, but that's what he does here. There's there's a crisis. He's got some pretty strong words for them. Now, up until this point, it hasn't been especially clear what the crisis was. This is one of the challenges of reading half a correspondence, you know, like you're kind of riding in the car with somebody and maybe they answer the phone and you hear half the conversation and you're thinking, that's kind of weird and and, you know, you don't have the whole story, you don't have the whole context, you've only got this one part, and you got to put some pieces together, maybe they'll fill you in afterwards, maybe not, remains to be seen. Nevertheless, we've got what Paul says to the Galatians, in his version of the story, we don't have what he says, what they've said to him, or how they wrote back, or how they responded, or, or even how it all got kicked off. So we're kind of looking through this letter, and we're putting the pieces together, and he doesn't just give us a report, like, here's what happened, 21st century Christians in Galatia, so that you kind of know what's going on. We just got to read through and kind of catch some of the pieces. Well, in chapter 2, we begin to get some clues at what's really going on here. It's going to come clear. You may have noticed he talks about circumcision a lot. And that's not really a topic that comes up in, in, like in modern-day churches all that frequently. He's given us some clues to what the conflict is about. The conflict is so strong that Paul is even willing to use the language of false gospel. Now, that's not, those aren't words that come out of my mouth all that often. But Paul here is willing to use that kind of language in chapter 1. If somebody on my team preaches a false gospel to you, or if an angel from heaven shows up and preaches a false gospel, pay no attention. So that's strong language, and it gives us a clue that for Paul, this is, like, this is really crucial. This is really, really crucial. It has potential. This conflict has potential not only to divide the church, but from where Paul stands, it has potential to disrupt the mission of the church beyond the community that is kind of the, the ground zero for the conflict. So what's the conflict? What's the false gospel? What's Paul dealing with? Well, we can put some of the pieces together today. The answer may surprise us. Chances are, if you've been in a church very long, you've run into some sort of conflict here and there. They come along easily. They show up. Josh is smiling at me because, you know, it happened, right? Things can be going along nicely, and all of a sudden, boom, like there's a thing, and it's happening. That's one reason I want to say, like, as this church is making decisions about the future, that shared vision and, un- like, unanimous commitment to a single pathway is not to be taken for granted. Because when churches begin to focus on kind of inter 
community conflicts, we begin to stop focusing on our mission to our neighbors and the nations. Right? If I'm arguing with you, I'm not embodying Jesus and declaring the beauty of the good news of his perfect love to my neighbors. It's a, there's only so much time in the week. And the question is, how am I using that time? And so Paul, whatever the conflict here is, takes it very seriously. Now churches today fight over different things than Paul is dealing with. You know, conflicts, you got the cliche color of the carpet thing, and churches are constantly embattled over styles of worship, even after decades of kind of churches just doing different things. There's conflict. In the first century, they fought over things like circumcision and whether non-Jewish people had to get circumcised to be Christians. Now, that makes color of the carpet seem not quite such a big deal, I would imagine. Uh, and I don't remember, like I've been a pastor for, I think, 17 or so years now, and I've never once in that whole time, as many conflicts and potential conflicts as we've navigated in various churches, I've never once had this conflict show up in a church. Like, nobody's ever come along and said, hey, I think people join the church, they should undergo this medical procedure. Like, that hasn't come up, and I'm grateful, grateful for it. But that is what comes up here. We begin to get the clue because Paul tells us about Titus, who's not Jewish. He's of Greek descent. And apparently there's some folks in Jerusalem who want him to undergo the procedure, the medical procedure. It's also a religious procedure, ritual. Paul refuses to do that, and he sees it as a gospel issue. So we're going to dig into that more deeply. For Paul, approaching that issue has potential to disrupt the unity of the church and the mission of the church. It has potential to disrupt the community and the community's goals, purposes, and aims. And so there's some principles underneath that the Galatians have to wrestle with and that we've got to, we've got to wrestle with even if they're applied differently. Even if they're applied differently. And for Paul, it has to do with the way that the community and the mission are interwoven together. For Paul, gospel-focused mission is forged in gospel-formed community. And if the community isn't formed by the gospel, if the community isn't rooted in the gospel and cultivated in the gospel and committed to the gospel and unswervingly devoted to the good news about who Jesus is, if that's not the driving, central, defining thing, you may do some mission activities, but you will not be a gospel-focused missional church. So how does this emerge? What does that look like? We're talking about the mission and the community and how they relate. What's going on here? Well, Paul sort of offers his own mission as a case study, doesn't he? And where does his mission start? It starts with a calling. Like Jesus shows up for Paul. And remember, Paul was a nasty guy. He was the kind of guy who went around killing people like us <laughs> or hauling them off in or all those kinds of things, right? Like he was aggressively opposed to a church that was integrating non-Jewish people into it and who took Jesus as the Messiah. So he's aggressively opposed to that, and he describes that earlier in the letter. And Jesus shows up to Paul. 
on that road. And Paul has this radical experience. His life's just turned from one direction to another. And all of a sudden, instead of persecuting the way of Jesus, he becomes one of its greatest advocates. Starts planting churches and, and preaching the gospel, and he's advancing the, the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. But he's not a solo gig, is he? He's not out there by himself, just kind of like, you guys in Jerusalem, you do your thing, I'm going to do my thing. Now, he doesn't go up right away, but he does eventually get in there. He's got some preparation. He's got to learn some things. He's got to sort some things out. But eventually, he goes to the leaders of the church in Jerusalem and says, hey, are we, do, are, are we on the same page here? Do we have gospel unity? Are we focused on the same message and the same mission? Is this where we are? And he kind of he submits himself to them in a, what may be a surprising way to us. Because we kind of live in a world where the people say things like, hey, if you got a call, you go do you, go, you, do you right? <laughs> like, you do you, and Paul going up to see if his message and mission and his calling aligns with the, with the Jerusalem leaders are very different visions of the world. He goes in to submit himself, to offer himself, to say, like, am I running in vain? Like, am I wasting my energy? Do I have the story wrong? Like, I think uh, Jesus has called me. Jesus is at work in my life. I think I'm on the right path, but I want to make sure that I'm not going through the motions or, or expending my energy in a way that's not effective for the gospel. And so he offers himself to be evaluated by them and to listen to them. And what do they do? They recognize God's grace in his life. And so we begin to see like how ministry... And all of us kind of have different sorts of ministries. Some of us devote full-time to the ministry of the church. Others devote kind of part-time to the ministry of the church, though it probably never feels that way. Others devote sort of servant volunteer energy to the ministry of the church. And there are different roles and different responsibilities involved in that. But, it, but it's all kind of offered at one central mission. But it all sort of has to face and deal with and stand up against the question, yes, I see gifts and graces and calling even, but how does that align with the purposes and aims of what Jesus has called this community to do? Is it a good fit? Like, is there grace in your life? And sometimes, like people come along and they feel super called. There ain't a lot of grace in their lives. <laughs> and we have to kind of say, you know, that's a great idea, but maybe we should think about what that looks like over here. Because a calling isn't enough. Not here. When I first went to the denomination and said, hey, I think I'm called to be a pastor, they're like, that's great. We got a pretty long process where we'll figure out if you really are and uh, whether you have what it takes. <laughs> Sometimes we're still trying to figure that out, I think. God calls, and then God puts the community in a place to confirm the calling. And that's exactly what happens here. Paul says, hey, I'm called, 
And Peter and James and John say, all right, let's talk. Talk to us about the gospel. Talk to us about your vision for Jewish-Gentile relations. And they see God's... Talk to us about your commitment to ministry with the poor. Like, talk to us about your, what you want to do, your church planting goals. Like, let's, let's hear it. And they see in his life the evidence of grace. They met for a few days. And they say, let's shake hands, brother. We're on the same page. And we want to support your ministry. You go take the gospel to the nations. And so you've got this community in Jerusalem that the Pauline mission emerges out of. Right? That's the thing to see. The gospel-forged community in Jerusalem, where Peter's already experienced Pentecost and he's preached the gospel, and people are coming to Jesus. Non-Jewish people are coming to Jesus for the first time in dramatic ways. And Peter's, all that's happening. There's a community in Jerusalem that is unswervingly committed to the gospel right they're being opposed they're facing persecution we've read through acts together we know like these guys did not have a smooth pathway there were some challenges involved but they're committed to the gospel their community is forged by a commitment to the good news about who jesus is about his death and about his resurrection and about his lordship and out of that gospel-forged community, something grows. What grows? The mission of the church grows. Like, missions don't just sort of happen. Like, oh, I fell out of bed this morning. I think I'll go start a new mission. No, they grow out of communities that are deeply committed to the gospel. And we see Paul, and we see Peter, James, and John, and the others in Jerusalem come together, and there's a community. Paul says, I want to... I wanna, Offer myself to you to hear from you about what's the right way to proceed. Make sure I'm not running in vain. And they bless that. They see the evidence of God's work in his life. So out of that community, what grows? The mission grows. And what happens? Paul goes and begins launching more communities. So they say, all right, we're going to extend to you the right hand of fellowship. Verse 9. We're committed to the same gospel. We trust you. Get to work. And so what does he do? He starts traveling around. Goes to different places. Goes to Corinth. Goes to Philippi. Goes to Thessalonica. Begins planting churches. He begins building communities that are focused on, committed to, and forged by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all you got to do is read through his letters quickly to discover that that is Paul's central commitment. That's what he's about. This is about Jesus. This is about Jesus. He is the one that binds us together. He's the source of our unity, whether it's in Jerusalem or Corinth. And he's the source of the unity between those two cities, which, by the way, before Jesus showed up, nobody would have ever thought of those two cities as being a part of the same movement, except unless it was soldier-enforced Roman Empire kind of stuff. But that's what they do. That's what Paul does. I think the crucial thing to see here, whether it's in Jerusalem or whether it's in other cities, Galatia, different regions like Galatia, the crucial thing to see is that the gospel is not only 
the goal of their unity. It's really the source of their unity, isn't it? Like they don't, they don't, they don't get together because they like to watch certain movies, sci-fi or something. It's not movie night at the church that binds the community together. It's not college football that binds the church together, though it may feel that way sometimes, right? Like, if that's not the thing, even if it comes up a lot, it's the gospel. Christ has come. Christ has died. Christ has risen. One thing, that story is the source of our unity. And when churches get into conflicts, when they get into a mess, it only happens. This is the thing. In two occasions, it's either a conflict over the gospel itself with a competing false gospel, or it's a distraction from the gospel over something that's secondary, third place, or worse. It's either a gospel issue or it's something like, we can have a conversation about that, but it's not really a make it or break it kind of thing. Most or lot, like lots of the things that churches deal with, those cliches we talked about early on, are not gospel issues. They're not. The classic one, color of the carpet has nothing to do with the resurrection of Jesus. Amen? <laughs> like, I have served in towns where multiple churches spring up after a split over some of the most foolish things that have absolutely nothing to do with the gospel. Purely matters of preference. You know what those churches were not focused on? Their neighbors or the nations. So it's either a competing false gospel, which is what Paul thinks he's dealing with here, or it's a distraction from the gospel to some inconsequential, not inconsequential, but not supremely consequential kind of thing. The gospel binds the church together. I believe that the unity we are experiencing in these days comes from a deep commitment to the gospel. And I'm excited about that. I really am. Even in the midst of just a season that in some ways for me has been challenging for years because our denominational stuff has just been a mess for a really long time. I'm really excited about the next few months and the next few years. Because... Jesus is at work. And I see people who are part of a movement here in our region and across the country, across the world. I got friends in Africa who are a part of this movement who are excited about the future because Jesus is at work. And the thing that binds us together is the gospel. Everything else is disposable. The good news about Jesus drives everything. And that's why I'm excited about the future, even if it means we've got to go through a rather bit of uncomfortable thing for a few months or even a couple of years. 
thankfully, we're light at the end of the tunnel territory here. The unity that gives birth to mission has to be guarded. And that's what Paul's doing here. And that's where the circumcision Titus thing comes in, isn't it? Basically, what's happening is you've got Jewish followers of Jesus. And they've read their Bibles. And they've read the story of Abraham. And they know that circumcision is the sign of the covenant, isn't it? And they're committed to their Bible. Like they, like they want to be faithful. They're not bad motives. They want to be faithful. And Jesus is a Jewish guy. And this is a Jewish movement. And they get it that there's some non-Jewish people that want to follow Jesus too. But the question is, like, do they have to kind of live into the Jewish expectations? Paul's answer to that is not when it comes to circumcision. Because the thing that binds us together is the gospel, not the ritual. Doesn't mean the ritual is bad, doesn't mean it's a problem, but it's not the thing that creates gospel forged community. Gospel forges the community, not that particular ritual. And so when you have folks come along and say, hey, Titus, we know you're not Jewish like us, but we want you to take the mark of Jewishness if you want to be a Christian. Paul resists that. And he calls it a false gospel, which is pretty intense. But it's intense because he understands that if the community starts heading in a wrong direction, the entire mission is jeopardized. So he wants to say, look, we're not going to fool around with the folks who are trying to distract us from the mission. Like he just straight up says, we did not submit to them even for a moment. He'll offer himself to Peter, James, and John and those guys because they are committed to the same gospel. But these other folks, supposed leaders, come along and say, well, we got, we, we, your gospel's fine, but you got to do this ritual too. And he's like, no, sir. We are singly focused on the gospel. That's what defines the community. That's what gives birth to community. That's what multiplies the community. It's who we are. And if we get distracted or if we, if we give ourselves to something else, if we add to Jesus something else, the mission suffers, crumbles even. So you have to cultivate that. You want the mission to flourish, you cultivate gospel-forged community. Now here's the thing. Cultivating gospel-forged community means giving yourself more than you would expect. It means giving yourself More in terms of your time, your resources, your energy. Like, we're not going to form gospel forge community by getting together once a month. 
We're going to form that kind of deep life together by making ourselves as frequently available to one another as possible. By digging in, saying, you know what? I may be tired tonight, but I'm going to show up. It's been a long day. It's been a long week. I'd rather take this weekend off, but I'm committed to the gospel. I'm committed to the community. I'm going to show up. And I'm going to show up and be engaged. Not an observer, but a participant. I'm going to pray. I'm going to worship. I'm going to sing. I'm going to offer myself, and I'm going to bring my family with me to, off, to offer ourselves to Jesus together for the sake of the good news. Because that community where we're formed together is the thing that gives birth to the transformation of the world. The world won't change until it's filled with gospel-forged communities. So the question for us, right, is what does it look like to deepen that and to cultivate it? What does it look like for me in my life, in my family's life, to deepen the community's commitment to the gospel? And what does it look like to be a deeper participant in that mission to our neighbors and the nations? That's going to look a little bit differently in all of us, isn't it? Our schedules are different, our commitments are different, our professions, our vocations are different, we're in different places in life, and so there's not like a, there's not a, just a recipe like follow this and you'll just sort of boom, poof, community and mission. It's going to take prayer, it's going to take discernment, it's going to take showing up, because a lot of times that discernment happens in the context of community. But that's the question I want us to walk away with today. What does it look like for me, my family, my Sunday school class, my small group, my Wednesday night group? What does it look like for us to be more deeply committed to the gospel and the mission in this season that we're in? And I think, I'm confident, that if that question is consistently in front of us, The Lord Jesus Christ will do exciting things in the midst of us. You've been listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hole United Methodist Church. If you enjoyed this message, consider sharing it with a few friends. Remember to visit us at hopeholeumc.org sermons and subscribe to get notified when new content is posted. Thanks for listening.